You are listening to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I am Adam. I'm Jeremy. And this week we're doing X-Men number seven. Woo! September 1963 issue entitled The Return of the Blob. Which we have been waiting for eagerly. You're a big fan of the blob, I remember. <laughs> Do like me some blob. No, I, I have not actually been waiting for this issue. And I'm wondering, based upon like earlier um, receptions to that comic book, if anybody else has been. <laughs> 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 oh, yay, the circus is going to be back in this issue. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah, it's the return of the blob. And as we can see on the cover, it's also the return of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah. Uh, woot. Because we <laughs> haven't seen enough of them. Uh, there's actually a, a letter in the letters page referencing that. We'll, we'll get to that later. Oh, yeah. There's a really good letter in there I want to talk about. But uh, <laughs> this one is written by the man, Stan, drawn by Jack Kirby, inked with Chick Stone and... Okay, everybody's got a little sideline, but I want to specifically hit this one. Lettered with all the words spelled right by Art Simic. And I want to point out that if you're going to put that in as your letterer, you better make sure everything is spelled right. <laughs> More on that to come. So, all right, the X-Men uh, in this uh, splash screen, as we're becoming accustomed to, are getting their graduation photo taken. Which is a, um interesting photo. They're all graduating, and yet in the forefront is the professor. Well, he's their professor. How many graduation <laughs> photos do you have where your professor is standing in front of you? That's a good point. I guess I hadn't thought of that. Generally, <laughs> I think only in kindergarten do you have the actual teacher sit with you. And does he sit in the very front? Mm, I don't know. He probably sits in the back so he doesn't uh, obstruct the children's view. Do you do you flank him? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all As right. Is being done here. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. They all look very happy, though. <laughs> now, here's actually uh, brings up a good point. Now that you mention it, uh, and I had thought about this a little earlier. Uh, so the X Men are all in their uh, duds, their costumes, but the professor mm-hmm. is in a nice silk coat, or whatever he is, and. My question is, is he, tr- this photo has been taken. It actually says here that uh, they posed before an automatic camera. Oh, I guess it doesn't say that they actually took the picture. Until the next page, uh, Angel is asking Bobby if the picture came out. But the professor, if he's trying to maintain a low profile, probably shouldn't appear in any pictures that involve the X-Men, unless he doesn't care about his identity. Yeah, he'll just mind wipe anybody who figures it out. <laughs> mind wipe. Maybe that smile on his face is actually like, a mental embedment of the pi- in the picture of uh, of mind wipe. What picture are we talking about? Well, the picture that they're posing for. There's a picture in this issue. Well, no, but I mean the camera here of their graduation. The X Men graduate in this issue. Yes, can you believe it? I don't know what you're talking about. You don't. Uh, How long will this joke go before you figure out that I've been mind wiped? Who's on first? Okay, picture taken. The X Men um, go to. Let's see, Marvel Girl picks up the professor, puts him in his wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why he was really in the front was because he, they they had to prop him up. Sure, sure. Well, they could have leaned him on something in the back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Giving him a crutch. Um, yeah. And so, yep, she gracefully drops the professor into his chair. Um, he's... 
He actually does, uh, uh, they actually do address the fact that the uh, diplomas that they're holding are not actually real diplomas. They're blank pieces of paper because they're trying to protect their identity and they don't want the world to know that you're a full-fledged X-Man. But then he says that he does have the actual diplomas, so why didn't he just use them? I don't know. <laughs> those actual oh. <laughs> those actual diplomas are for, you know, Bobby Drake and, and Scott Summers, but they sure could have rolled them up and used them in this picture rather than going through all the trouble of rolling up blank pieces of paper. Yeah. Mind wipe. Uh, what were we talking about? So the blob is in this issue, I hear. Um, so the <laughs> professor, he goes on to talk about... I love this. I'm not going to read it, obviously, but he goes into this. He starts with, and now I shall not bore you with long speeches, blah, 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 and now I need to leave. <laughs> what? They all and the then he proceeds say? to speak for three panels. <laughs> well, not only that, but he just he, he says, congratulations on your graduation, and now it's time for me to bid you farewell. Goodbye. <laughs> it seemed a little abrupt to me to just put it out there. But he does indicate that he's going to appoint a group leader. This is where I had the first spelling question. Uh, he says, but before I go, I shall appoint one of you as group leader to act in my behalf till I return. Now, Well, it's slang. Well, <laughs> okay. Now, if it's slang, it should be apostrophe T-I-L. But second of all, I don't think the professor speaks in slang. And would it have really killed anybody to write and uh, act in my behalf until I return? You're not going to be this picky through the whole issue, are you? Well, there's only two. This is the only two. But still, if you're going to say that he's going to spell everything correctly, die, Lord, you better spell everything correctly. He advertised it right on the first page. Actually, to be honest, I don't think the letterer is in charge of spelling. But why did it say that he was going to spell everything correctly? That actually brought <laughs> another question to me. Uh... Does Stan Lee just write these things out and then hand it to the letterer and then the letterer does these balloons? Who lays these balloons out? Hmm. I guess yeah, that is what the letterer does. I, I don't... Yeah, good question. I mean, the letterer is probably not in charge of spelling, but I mean, if he's writing it and he's like, you know, he's a typo in Stan's notes, he, he's probably, you know, the last person before it goes to the printer that should probably act upon that well really the editor is the one who's supposed to be in charge but they don't they don't seem to have an editor these days or at least i mean it, it was stan lee i suppose i don't think you give the letter as much credit as that person is due oh well definitely not <laughs> the letter is the unsung hero of all comic books so then we move on to a ramshackle mansion which stands high upon a windy hill Scarlet Witch is in the window, and uh, we we enter a room of the mansion where Mastermind is callously hitting on her. Well, I have a question in the lay or in the setup of the mansion here. It says uh, half hidden at the edge of town. What town? Um, New York City. You know, does this look like a mansion that would be sitting on the outside of New York City? Did you see the movie The Town? No. I heard it was, it good was that town. Oh, okay. I don't know what town that is. <laughs> so now I'll have to quick watch that movie <laughs> so I can get the joke. All right, so it's on the edge of town. Yes. And uh, apparently the mastermind has a little thing for the Scarlet Witch. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's changing around the scenery in trying to impress her with her, his illusion powers. Mm -hmm. First he changes the setting to a that of a palace and then to uh, kind of a, a European locale. If you stay on page three and look at panel f uh, six, 
Look at her bust and then look at her waist. I think that's just amazing. <laughs> Is she wearing a corset, you think? Yeah, she's got to be. <laughs> All right. So anyways, Mastermind is playing tricks and trying to seduce the Scarlet Witch, much to Magneto's chagrin. He shows up and throws a uh, some sort of, I guess it would, we'll, we'll say it's an iron pot. It would have to be, but it shatters. It shatters. Wow. <laughs> so S- such was the force of Magneto. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Magneto threatens Mastermind and Quicksilver and... Uh, Toad jump into the room. Now, in the last issue, Magneto had a uh, actually Toad and Magneto had a little exchange where Toad said, "Oh, I am, oh Master, I am the only one who is loyal to you." Uh, and then Magneto thought to himself, "Ah, oh, I don't need loyalty. I only need I will rule by fear." And here he actually verbalizes it. So it's like he doesn't yeah. even care anymore. He just, I don't need your loyalty. You will be afraid of me. And you're, I, I demand fear and blind obedience. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, you got to wonder, like, what are these evil mutants like? At first, we kind of thought, like, all right, they're going to set aside their differences for the common goal, right? But at this point, aren't you looking at Magneto like, you know, you've hatched all these crazy plans. They keep failing by a bunch of teenagers. You talk so lofty. You know, maybe uh, maybe it's time for somebody else to lead. Well, that's the thing. He rules by fear. So they... Uh like Mastermind particularly seems to be very cowardly and he's afraid that if he runs away, Master uh, Magneto will hunt him down. That's a good point. Toad, Toad's the same way. Very, very cowardly, very sniveling. And then I guess Wanda is indebted to Magneto and Quicksilver follows blindly his, his wife or his, his sister. So His wife. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would think so with the way she, he treats Secret her. Secret relationship. Yo. His wife slash sister. <laughs> it was okay back in the 60s. <laughs> so Magneto really has no true followers, no nobody who's really indebted to him, just people that are and afraid of him. And it would seem that he doesn't even care. I suppose if you can get your uh, ends met and uh, you don't care about the means, then you wouldn't care how people reacted towards you. I guess he's got a yeah. lot of self-confidence. He's, he's a megalomaniac. A megalomaniac? A megalomaniac. Um, he's a megalomaniac. So he... Uh, says that he has a new plan uh, to rule over the inferior humans. Um, he does say that the only people that stand in the way of their their uh, goals are the X Men. So clearly, has he not yet met like the Fantastic Four or Avengers? Um, I believe he will appear in an upcoming issue of Thor. Oh, but uh, I don't believe he has yet. Okay. So, meanwhile, back at the X-Men's secret school... The, um, the professor brings Scott to a secret wing of the secret school. Mm-hmm. And here we discover our first appearance of a completely different-looking Cerebro. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm, I am, as, a, I, I, as, a, as I imagine you are, are familiar with the Cerebro that is the helmet right. uh, that... Professor X puts his head in to search for uh, mutants. I think Cerebro gets a lot of facelifts throughout its career. Uh, The professor's constantly tinkering with him. Here it is definitely not a helmet. Here it just looks like a mess. It's like a big spider thing. And the the professor even says, uh, I don't actually need to use it. It's it's kind of, uh, it's for you, Scott. Right. Because... Well, but You're does going it, to replace me. Does he actually say that? He, I thought it said it kind of helped him intensify it. Well, he says 
I personally have little need for such apparatus. But as we learn later on, uh, he he t- totally needs it. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe there's a brain limiting uh, event that happens in the future X Men that we yeah, just something clearly changes. So what he basically yeah. says is this giant contraption sits in this private wing, but there's some wires that lead directly to his private office, transmitting all ESP data, which is extra sensory perception. Is that what it's? Extrasensory yep, that's what it says in the editor's note. So, um, so he, he has a machine that is able to capture magic. <laughs> Essentially. I mean, as we find out the way that it works, it's a pretty unique machine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot smarter than one would give uh, uh, it credit for. <laughs> so uh, Scott and the professor talk very briefly and the professor reveals that Cyclops, you are the one who possesses the rare quality of leadership. And Cyclops questions this, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, but the professor's decision stands. So we cut to the next morning where uh, Beast and Angel and Jean Grey and Bobby are all getting ready to go out for a, a day out on the town have a celebration for their graduation. Oh, yeah. And uh, they go to find Scott, bring him along, and uh, this is Scott reveals to them that he is now the group leader. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that he asked for, but he's going to do it because... And it's actually an, a complete 180 from Cyclops' plans, which we didn't even get, we didn't even know about. Yeah, uh, he had been thinking about leaving the X-Men. But why was he going to leave the X-Men, Adam? Why? Because... He just can't control his power, or or he fears he fears his inability to control his power. If it were to get out of control, who knows the damage that he could cause? He might cut someone's hand off while he's slicing a piece of cake. You never know. <laughs> or or what if someone's behind the door as he's using it as a key to open the lock? <laughs> or what if he shoots too hard at Angel's wings? <laughs> right, exactly. He was going to leave, but he decided to stay now. Um, yeah. And so all the X-Men are wondering, how could you leave us? Well, this is an outrage. And we get a glimpse here, I guess, at uh, Jean, Jean Grey's uh, affections for Cyclops. For what She's reason, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not. he hasn't done one thing that's been like, yeah, that, that's a really likable guy, and I would like to spend time with him. <laughs> Romantic Even during time. the Claremont years. I mean, mm-hmm. Cyclops is he's kind never of a, deserving of Jean Grey's mm-hmm. affection. Not only that, but he seems to just attract all of these women more <laughs> so than any of these other guys. But uh, yes, so for some reason she's fawning over him and even Angel sees it and he doesn't understand why Cyclops can just sit there so unmoved. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> So they all so, go to the coolest little coffee shop in Greenwich Village. So what year did you say this issue is from? 64? Uh, this was 64. Hmm. Okay. Let me double, I'll double check that just to make sure. Well, it's not, sure. it's not late 60s for sure. September 1964. All right. Was the hippie fad starting about then? Because it gets really weird in the middle of this issue. Uh, it's more beatniks than hippies. Oh, okay. Oh, and so we will see. Beatniks <laughs> are the pre- precursor to hippies or something? Yeah. All right. So apparently uh, part of group leader is to sit at this desk and wait. <laughs> I love this. Uh, he he turns it on, the desk opens up or whatever, and then Cerebro, that's the second typo, <laughs> by the way, 
I, I, I feel like that can't be a typo. Oh, come on. Who's Cyberno? Because it's Cerebro, and then Cyberno is so different than Cerebro. I, I, my feeling is that uh, Stan Lee was writing, and he's, he's doing this all in shorthand. He doesn't know how to type on a typewriter, so all of it is just <laughs> chicken scratch. And then Art Simic is like, Cy, sir, oh, man, I got a dead like Cyberno. Moving on. <laughs> I think the uh, Cerebro is the spider-like device in the room, uh-huh. and Cyberno is the outputted voice. I challenge you to Google Cyberno, and I bet you somebody's <laughs> actually come up with something clever to be with Cyberno here. I bet <laughs> you something in the Marvel Universe exists just to make this panel work. I'm going to look that up later. Cyberno! <laughs> so anyways, uh, Cyberno apparently just sits there and beeps. So Cyclops has to sit in the office all by himself listening to this machine beep until a in mutant. In the dark. Yeah, in the alone. dark until a mutant menace appears. It's a tough job being team leader. <laughs> so anyway. Really, the, the only reason the professor gave him the job is because he was the only one that he knew would actually do this. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody else will leave. Oh, I know who will do it. Cyclops. <laughs> He's just boring enough to do it. Anytime Cyclops says something about how he's so scared of his power and whatnot, that's just the professor talking through him and taking away some <laughs> self-confidence. <Yeah. laughs> um, so we uh, cut across to town to a noisy carnival. Ooh, what could be happening at this noisy carnival, I wonder? And and why does uh, why does Magneto comment about he can he can appear in this place with impunity? Nobody knows what he actually looks like, so technically he could take <laughs> off the costume and walk around anywhere with impunity. That's very true. Um, I, I but wish, I guess he feels at home in a place where he can wear his costume. I wish that they would have done something different because it's just so... It takes a lot of wind out of any bad guy's sails to be walking around at the carnival. <laughs> in my opinion, I don't know, just... I don't know. He doesn't look like he's about to take the world when right before that he was at the carnival. That's just me. So anyways, uh, we move on and we we get another description, action-packed description of what the blob's powers are. Yes, Magneto is seeking the blob out at the carnival. Do we actually get a dialogue here of why Magneto knows to go to the carnival and look for the blob? Um, no, no. Okay. Last issue we had a newspaper that explained why he knew about Namor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is you. I guess he's, maybe he's got a checklist. <laughs> what? A checklist of what? How does he even know the blob exists? He's got a checklist of Marvel Universe mutants. No, like the official Marvel handbook at the time? Yeah. Okay. So anyways, quick description of the blob's powers. Uh, an elephant attempts to drag him, but he is unmovable, and someone fires a cannonball into him uh, from a cannon, and he he his body sucks it up. Mm-hmm. Just as we saw in issue number three, some of the same things. Mm-hmm. Magneto, he discusses, or he, he figures out that he was correct, that he is not just a human, he's a mutant. So he goes to talk to the blob, but the blob's like, what's up, Rube? I don't know what you're talking about. And then we get another demonstration of Magneto's mental powers. It's one of the most powerful mutant minds on Earth begins to probe the blob's brain. Yeah. You know, I'm really curious. I mean, they seem... uh, We kind of thought that it was only like one little mental thing going on in the last issue, but it seems like he uses this mental power a lot, so I'm wondering if there's an issue in here as we progress that we see that power removed. I really hope so. 
Otherwise, I'm going to feel cheated. (laughs) (laughs) Or it'll just disappear one day. Yeah, it could be. So he's unable to probe probe the blob's mind uh, Mm -hmm. because of the professor's mental blocks from issue three. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Some things happen. uh, And then the the carny, uh, the circus manager, he comes up. And uh, this is one thing that I've always kind of questioned. And this is probably the third time I've read this issue. Uh, So Magneto captures him underneath a cage. And then the guy says... I don't know what your game is, Mac, but if it's a fight you want, you came to the right place. And then he shouts, hey, Rube. <laughs> and I don't know what, I mean, I know what a Rube is. Rube is like what? Like like, like uh, somebody who's not educated at like a, a, a sucker, a mark, right? When well, you, I feel like um, at the carnival, the Rube takes on a specific meaning of someone who is not of the carnival. So do you think he's just warning everybody at the carnival that there's a Rube there? Like hey, well, they they in in the next panel, yeah. In answer to the time-honored Carney battle cry. Oh my gosh! Did I not even read that? Oh, so hey, Rube is like hey guys, there's a Rube here. Come kick his ass. Or it's like hey Kool Aid. Oh yeah, and they all <laughs> charge over. <laughs> okay, wow! I never even read that panel. The time-honored Carney battle cry. So I challenge all of our listener. To go to the carnival <laughs> and shout, hey, Rube, as loud as they can and see what happens. Wouldn't that be awesome if all of a sudden a whole bunch of people just started charging out like, where is he? Where is he? Carrying tire <laughs> irons and baseball bats and stuff. Um, okay. So anyways, the uh, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants handily take out the carnival people, which is more than can be said for the X-Men, as we saw. Yes. <laughs> it takes them all of two pages to take out the carnival. And I, it took the X-Men maybe about a half an issue. And for, for God's sakes, Toad was like a third of that destruction of the carnival there. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, having taken care of the uh, the carnival, Magneto offers the Blob a position as a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And uh, the Blob grabs him. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty crazy panel, too. It puts... Uh, the, it puts Magneto into a rather um, passive position. Yeah, he kind of uh, he he grabs him from behind and and holds him to his chest. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, Magneto is actually able to move the blob. He pulls the ground up from underneath him with uh, utility pipes underneath mm-hmm. it, and yeah. sends the blob flying into a carnival uh, wagon of some sort. Yeah, and this is a tactic that they will use. They will continue using on the blob. They can't. Does it move always him. work to? Does it always work to knock him off of his feet? They can't move him from where he wants. They can't move him from the ground that he is uh, touching, but they can move the ground. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. If you can get under him, you can knock him over. But anyways, yeah. So uh, apparently, all it takes to um, undo Professor X's mind wipe is a little blow to the head. Well, you know, it's it's presumably a pretty pretty big blow to the head. I guess. So he remembers that uh, the the X-Men were afraid that he would join Magneto, but he will. He will now join him. And at that moment, at that very instant, the blob alert goes off. And as we can <laughs> see on Cyberno, we've got Magneto Toad, Mastermind, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Blob, and Unknown underneath uh there. So apparently when somebody decides to join Magneto, then Cyberno goes off and alerts or 
Yeah, because uh, as soon as the blob name uh, starts going off, um, Cyclops oh. immediately assumes that the blob must have joined the evil mutants. Yeah, so that's that's quite an impressive alarm. It's quite an impressive trigger too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically with with this one loud siren. It makes the sound of the sound effect. Um, it, that's telling the blob has his memory returned and he's joined the evil mutants. That's quite a conclusion to jump to. Well, if you can see, he's actually looking at his code book on the last panel. Uh, no, that's no, actually <laughs> that's actually his. Okay, <laughs> the sign out book <laughs> for the rest of the X Men. When they go somewhere, they have to make sure to sign out in this book. Hey, you know, that's a good idea. If you are a teenage group of super-powered mutants and you want a day off, it's probably a good idea to sign out where you're going just in case an evil mutant regains his memories and joins other evil mutants. Yeah, yeah, but then as as one of the X-Men, you kind of have... What happens if you don't stick to your plan? Well, Do you have to stop back at the, the mansion and, and write in your update? No, the professor mind wipes you into something embarrassing later on <laughs> so then we move on to page 12 and this is where it gets weird it's there in a yeah like you said a beat nicky coffee club on the bohemian side of new york yeah uh it's a there's a jazz combo and there's somebody reading zen poetry go cat which, go um, yeah man groovy <laughs> this is stanley's view of uh of beatniks clearly yeah uh the beast comments that he thinks that the guy isn't doing poetry he's reading his house his wife's or a housewife's shopping list and uh the the girl sitting at the table with beast and iceman comments yeah he is that's what makes him a genius dig that groovy beat beast feet are rather uncomfortable so he decides uh, he wants to take he, off his shoes. He makes a comment about it, and, and the woman sitting at the table with them says, go, go ahead, nobody cares. He takes it off, and apparently the beast's feet are so abnormal that everybody in the club notices mm-hmm. just how abnormal they are. People want to make sketches of it. They think that the poetry guy was going to write a new poem about it. They want to start a whole new cult. They pick up the beast on their backs and start toting him around the room mm-hmm. and um, start talking about how they're going, like, these feet will put us on the map. What map are they talking about? And The uh, beat Nick Matt. The, the beat <laughs> Nick Matt, man. Because actually the lady in the previous panel, she's like, this thing could start a whole new cult. We'll call ourselves the Barefoot Beats, man. Dig yeah, that crazy foot. Just, uh... That's intense. <laughs> Not only does he have the world's greatest feet, but he talks too. Yeah, man. Uh, and then some lady, her name is Zelda. Apparently her name this is Zelda. Bobby's girlfriend or something like that. In a panel that Jack Kirby clear, clearly was sleeping through. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bobby looks wide-eyed. He's like, I don't know. Oh, guess, oh my. Straightening his tie. A girl's talking to me. A tie. That's like an, oh yeah, he is straightening his tie. Yep, you're right kind of like hitting on her yeah, well you know and if you twist my arm i think i could learn to love you or learn to like you is that how they talked in the they're, 60s they're doing a little they're doing a little flirting is that how you flirted that, in the 60s that that's how that's how he flirts because uh, <laughs> he, he's one of the squares ah yes actually and he's drawn to look kind of like a square there yeah and zelda's falling for it apparently so you know maybe but, we'll, and uh 
Angel Bussin. Yep. Because Scott was able to call him on his car radio. Yep. And uh, apparently in the sign up book, Angel wrote, I'll be in my car. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> so uh, they leave. Meanwhile, people are around. Meanwhile, people are drawing pictures on the beast's foot, and the beast apparently is not happy with this and bolts out of there. He jumps into the back of uh, Angel's convertible. I got to say that I'm pretty impressed. This is 13 pages, and we haven't had any action yet. It's been kind of dull, but it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> no action, you know. So anyways, they uh, for some reason, uh, they go to an abandoned factory. Well, actually, it's not an abandoned factory, as Magneto points out. It's actually one of yeah. his that he's kept this around. This factory belongs to me. <laughs> yes. I have kept it for such a time as this. Okay, whatever. Uh, and instead of the blob just being like, hey, you know what we could do? I know where they live. Let's go to their house. He decides. Well, I think the deal the deal with his memory regain is he doesn't remember everything. He doesn't remember their secret identities. He doesn't remember where they live. He just remembers like a vague memory that he doesn't want to be an X-Men and that they defeated him. You're jumping to an awful lot of conclusions there, but. I got to, man. I got to because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Okay, fine. I think that somebody just forgot. <laughs> or for the sake of whatever plot Stanley came up with, he decided to forget about that aspect. I mean, he could have easily put a panel in there to have been like, yeah, the X-Men, man, uh, my memory's real fuzzy, but uh, we got to get him, Magneto. You know, I bet Stanley did, but the letterer skipped that. Aha, uh-huh. Art Simic. You failed us again. So <laughs> f- that, uh, the X-Men arrived back at the mansion just in time to get changed. We get a little changing montage here for some reason. Yep, because we, we do, this is a familiar, you know we get the changing montage every so often. Yeah, you're right. We do. Yep. Angel um, busts out a- of his little Angel straps. His, yeah, he's having trouble. The the straps are, are stuck with his wings, mm-hmm. and uh, Iceman helps him out, and then busts out of his clothes, smashing like freezing his shirts, shoes, and socks, and they crack clean off. Luckily, his underwear or boxer shorts, as <laughs> they may be, uh, are are nicely intact. Mm-hmm. It could be a little embarrassing for Iceman. <laughs> but hilarious for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, Jean Grey and Beast have a little competition. Who can get there first? And um, talk a little bit about their manners. And uh, in order to show Beast some manners, Marvel Girl s- grabs Beast in the air and tosses him behind her. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I and then in this, like intense panel uh cyclops calls to the others magneto's c- contacting us directly he's just like shouting in this panel it's it's very intense it's a very intense panel um but in fact I, this whole page has been the most action-packed page in the issue so far and all they're doing I'm kind is of changing. on the edge of my seats as the x-men gets get changed and <laughs> um my question though is x-men i intend to put the entire city under my control i channel you to stop me where is that like a public radio wave or does, did Professor give Magneto like, if you ever want to threaten us, here's the frequency <laughs> on which you can talk to us or what's going on here? No, just uh, if you start any sentence with X-Men. <laughs> oh, this radio? Okay, up. sure. She are technology. Magneto does that. Okay. <laughs> and then, well, I mean, if it is a radio wave, it's it's 
he, he's giving them their address. <laughs> um, yeah. You can find me at the following address. <laughs> That's uh, Yeah, right. Well, it is an abandoned warehouse, or not an abandoned warehouse, but uh, whatever. Magneto so seems to have a, a lot of very radio places. wave, you know, who knows who's going to show up. <laughs> That's right. Some of those crazy beatniks. <laughs> hey, man. All right, so then they show up in their X-copter. Which, uh... Mag- Scott immediately oh. like the, the the blob is waiting down uh, on the ground, just trying mm-hmm. to get them to come attack him. And uh, Scott senses a trap, mm-hmm. showing a little bit of his leadership skills. And apparently, he's also the leader because he's the one that knows how to fly the helicopter. So yeah, Scott showing a little bit of his leadership abilities, both uh, flying the helicopter and realizing that perhaps this is a trap. It's a trap. So Magneto, uh, well, Magneto senses that they sense that this is a trap, so uh, he, well, he doesn't actually say that, but he gets impatient, so he destroys the helicopter. Sending the X-Men all into uh, a panic, a flurry, as they are now falling to the ground. Angel worries that he may not be able to capture everybody. Iceman determines that he's got a better idea. Uh, Beast has absolutely no ideas. And Cyclops points out the obvious. The ship is falling apart. <laughs> and Jean Grey says, help, I'm falling. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, Iceman Which, makes an ice... Oh. Question. Hmm? Does she have the, t- the power to telekinetically lift things in the air? Yes. And could that power not be applied to herself? Yes. We've already seen her lift the professor into his own chair. And we've also seen her flip the beast over her. And you can forget, I mean, even if we start talking about some of the earlier issues where she's lifting like seven people up in the air, uh, she certainly seems like she could be able to lift herself through the air. And in the prior issue, she slowed Beast's fall down mm-hmm. so that she mm-hmm. he wouldn't hit the ground so hard. I don't think Stanley's made this connection yet because later on in uh, her life, she does develop the ability to fly. Not like crazily, but to at least kind of hover around with her telekinesis. Well, you know, maybe she's just panicking. No, that could be. Just like a typical woman. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, women. Listeners. <laughs> he, he's not. <laughs> and so uh, Iceman makes a slide and pretty much saves just about everybody. Except for Angel. Well, he, he's got wings. And it looks like uh, Marvel Girl falls head first into this thing. You would think that these wings of uh, Angel's would just be a liability. Because, I mean, look at with all that shrapnel and debris flying around, you'd think that that's, that would just shred his wings. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he points out uh, he's got to fly clear first and then catch everybody. Oh, that's true. Good point. So the angel headlong or flies headlong into the uh, angel with, or, um, with into the blob with a helicopter rotor. And here we begin the the action sequence of the issue, 16 pages in. Mm. Now, the second panel here on page uh, 16, you would think that, again, Angel's wings would just be ripped off by the strength of the blob. But Those not. wings are attached. Yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least now they are. Very strongly attached, yes. Mm, you know, it, it's going to take some sort of, I don't know, X factor <laughs> to get those wings off. Some kind of an apocalypse to occur for him to lose those <laughs> wings. I don't know. Um, so then, yes, we've, we get some action. The beast tackles him with his feet. But he can't move him. So now the, uh, the blob is grappling with both beast and angel simultaneously. Uh, Jean Grey attempts to raise the beast off of the ground, but he 
is attached to the ground and uh, manages to, as as he lifts, as as he's being pulled up off of the ground, the ground rises up with him. Now, which is really curious. The the uh, let's put the let's put the blob here uh, at about three fifty three hundred fifty pounds maybe. Okay. Uh, imagine the force in which it would take to lift the ground and him. I mean, it's got to be a factor of like three or four. So we're looking at like twelve hundred pounds of pressure just to pull the ground up with him. Well, she's she's not attempting to pull the ground. Uh, she's trying to pull him. Well, you're right, she exactly. Says, but well, but but he has he's got he, for for I mean, it's kind of a goofy power in the fact that he's immovable and is goofily right. rendered here. Like I get the fact that like you can't knock me over. But, I mean, in this, we're kind of saying, like, my feet, like, Velcro to the ground. <laughs> right. And you can't move me off of the ground. So whenever you do this, it just pulls the ground up. Yeah, it's an interesting um, interpretation of the blob's powers, which, you know, yeah. I guess is true. But You uh, saw it here, so it's got to be true. Exactly. And so my point is is that the, the amount of power that Jean Grey has to be exerting just to pull the ground up with the, with the blob... I'm thinking it's like 1,200 pounds worth of pressure she's got to be dealing with there. Yeah, knocks she, her over. She does get knocked over. But, I mean, I guess to your point, she could certainly lift herself up and float around a little bit, I think. <laughs> uh, okay, so Magneto finally shows himself. It's not just the blob and launches out with his brotherhood and a bunch of missiles. Yeah, pretty much just the missiles. He kind of sends them all. He's waiting torpedoes. Sure. Uh, well, the other brotherhood, they're, they're back. They're behind the missiles. And uh, here we have some more leadership. Um, Iceman tells Cyclops that he, he's got to blow them away, but uh, Cyclops says, no, because if I do that, they're going to explode, and that'll kill us. Yep. So I want you, Iceman, to do this. He commands him to create some ice tubes. Uh, you know, Bobby says, I, I can't believe I didn't think of this. Clearly, you're the leader. Uh-huh. Um, one of them manages to get away, and uh, Iceman creates wheels around it and mm. rolls it away. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, he's kind of goofing off. And uh, two of the torpedoes are heading straight towards his back. And using his quick thinking, Cyclops blasts the ground, causing uh, Iceman to, to drop into a hole. To and which the torpedoes fly harmlessly over him. To which and Iceman replies, Oh, where? <laughs> <laughs> See, I was interpreting it as like, Awa. And then I started saying, Awa, place to stay. Get your booty on the floor tonight. Make my day. I think Iceman invented that song right here. I, I think he did. Yeah, he was certainly the inspiration for that song. Okay, that's one way to look at it. Duck, kid. Duck, shouts he does. Uh, uh, the torpedoes continue on harmlessly and um, hit a building in New York somewhere. Yeah, right. Something we, we don't need to deal with or see. <laughs> Uh, the blob is still struggling with the beast and Angel, mm -hmm. uh, and the beast pulls a maneuver which um, surprisingly works. I, I was a little bit surprised too. He throws some mud into the uh, the blob's eyes, sure, which makes sense. the The blob is thrown off guard. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he he's got mud in his eyes, and then uh, the beast does a backflip kick, which actually manages to. Uh, Get the blob off of the ground. Knocks him over. I uh, I was surprised by that. Well, it makes sense. I mean, they're, they're, the blob has to exert a certain amount of concentration to maintain his stance. I'll buy it. 
I never knew that. I just thought he was automatically unmovable. Eh, I think he has to l- at least be thinking about it, you know. Well, go Beast. Yeah. You impressed me this issue. Well, he's the smart one. That's true. He is the smart one. Magneto uh, surrounds himself. Maybe he caught those uh, errant torpedoes because now he's oh. got a little ring of torpedoes around him. I can buy that. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, even Magneto doesn't want to see a bunch of helpless people in a tower be destroyed or anything by one of his torpedoes <laughs> or something. Um, so he, he makes this crazy shield, and the Magneto, or I'm sorry, the angel tries to fly through it, uh, but he fell right into Magneto's trap because Magneto was making those torpedoes low enough that Angel would be at the mercy of Quicksilver, who comes running out and punches him in the face. Mm-hmm. Which is strange because the angel flies. And why doesn't he fly over the missiles rather than trying to go through them? Mm-hmm. That's why That's the angel is not the leader. <laughs> <laughs> True. We're getting a lot of reasons for why only Cyclops could get the, be the leader. So far, he Cyclops has hasn't made any mistakes. He has the patience, and he's not a fool. And most importantly, he's not a girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Marvel Girl, she wasn't an option. Yeah, right. Well, clearly not. Um, so, uh, we, we get a little taste of Quicksilver's power again. Nobody can stop him because they can't catch him, uh, until what happens here? Um, well, actually Marvel girl using her telekinesis, uh, is able to catch him, uh, showing that the Marvel girl, uh, does have a use in the X-Men. Now she, she did this in like, she did this like two episodes ago where she caught Quicksilver and spun him around with her telekinesis. Yeah, it, se- it seems like the only. Uh, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, they're they're relying on things that they've done before. Yeah, but it'd be nice. It'd be nice to see in issue seven some some new stuff, don't you think? Uh, we sort of do, and you know, don't. <laughs> Scarlet Witch waggles her finger to get some of that hex power going, and. Um, Mag- I guess Magneto wants them grouped up together and, and doesn't want her to do that because mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he needs them all to be in a group for some reason. Well, he wants to take them out in one felled swoop would be my understanding. But, of course, right. Scarlet Witch doesn't want that to happen because she doesn't want Quicksilver to be trapped over there. So the Well, at this point, we don't know why Magneto wants to keep them all together. Look, without even reading ahead, I can make that assumption. <laughs> That's the assumption as the reader that I'm coming up with. Because so it's the same thing that we've seen over and over and over again so far in these X-Men comic books. Oh, you know, <laughs> at this point, the the League of, or no, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants do not realize it. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, Iceman freezes up the blob in a big block of ice. Uh, well, first, uh, Cyclops and the Beast bump into each other, allowing Quicksilver to escape. Oh, yeah. Why did he do that? Uh, that was the Oh, that's power. the hex power. Okay. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And, uh, yeah, giant block of ice for the blob from Iceman. Quicksilver runs away. He's able, to, he's able to dash over Iceman's very long ice cane that he creates to try and trip him up. <laughs> he he should have used the, uh, the giant ice horse. Oh, and then now Cyclops making some more leadership skills or leadership commands has created a battle line. Yeah. Come on, that's leader talk right there. He's he's a serious leader. This is it, boys and girl. The final attack. And then uh, the blob escapes from his giant icicle or ice cube uh, prison mm-hmm. and comes straight after the X-Men. Uh, he's not stopping Scott, says Iceman. Mm-mm. And at this point, 
Magneto reveals his hand and sends the torpedoes, the, the, the three remaining torpedoes, straight at the X-Men and the blob. Just proving that he's, the ends justify the needs. No, the means justify the ends. And if that means blowing away the blob, then so be it. Then the X-Men will be taken out and world domination will surely be his. Once again, surprising the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah. They seem to keep forgetting about that. Maybe he mind wipes them. I don't know. He does oh, have some mental powers. Does have so. some, you're right. Very, very, very true. Uh, and so even though the blob was heading towards the X-Men, he turns around real quick to tell Magneto, no, you can't do this. <laughs> yeah, he's like, come on, man. I'm, I'm doing my job here. Lay off. And, <laughs> and all of the missiles hit the blob, and he survives. Mm-hmm. Thereby saving the X-Men. Yep. Ironically, one of our most deadly enemies shielded us from a fatal blast. Yeah. It's poetic, really. Magneto's just a little bastard. They all kind of rub it in, too. While his own ally was willing to let him die without a second thought. How does that make you feel, blob? (laughs) (laughs) And then Angel, stay back, Gene. There's no telling what he'll do next. (laughs) He's just trying to cop a feel. I just know it. Come on, I have a, I have a convertible. <laughs> so uh, Magneto is upset that his plans were spoiled, and um, kind of throws a little tantrum here. Yeah, <laughs> and then Scarlet Witch once again reminds us, "Well, you did save my life once." So, <sighs> but then she she seems to be reaching the end of this. Uh, she's like, "I can't take any more of the senseless carnage. I I can't." But then. Pietro, easy Wanda, don't lose control. We'll talk of this later. Thus putting the woman in her place. <laughs> so the it's the 60s. It happens a lot. The Brotherhood escape uh, in one of uh, in the Magna Car, a, a little car shaped like a magnet. Quick into the Magna Car. Now, come on. Magneto, the master of magnetism, the villain that you've grown up with and seen in the movies, can you really imagine him having something called a Magna Car? Hell yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> And apparently he had uh, 1, 2, 5, 9, 10, 11, 12 more torpedoes hidden in his little uh, oh, yeah. mansion. But talk about giving up before the fight's even over. Okay, so the blob's yeah. knocked down. The X-Men are probably standing up and gloating. Just hurl those other 12 missiles at him. But no. Yeah, he just he feels defeated. He's like a, he's taking his toys and he's getting out of there. Not only that, on the last page here, he's like, oh, the professor wasn't even with them. Yeah, <laughs> and we still like, got beat. Well, now, now he's like, I, I need to change my plans because, like, now that I know that the professor's not mm-hmm. with them, my next plan is seriously going to destroy them. Will be much more dastardly. That this plan was like totally relying on the professor being there. What? <laughs> <laughs> Had the professor been there, he would have won. I mean, that's what he's saying. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I could see that if there was any evidence in this comic book that that were the case. Um, yes. But, but I it makes no sense. Okay. Uh, so why is the angel says, wait, the Scarlet Witch, she's aboard also. Oh. Oh, well, Cyclops, Cyclops is going to blast the Magna Car to destroy sure. it, but then they, they decide not to because the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, they just seem like all right guys. Mm-hmm. And Gal. Right. There's something a little bit more complex about them. They don't seem all that evil. And to cap off this issue, the uh, the blob uh, decides that he doesn't want to deal with mutants anymore. He doesn't like good guys. He doesn't like the bad guys. 
He just wants to go back to the carny and, and be a freak. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. Just wants to go back to the carnival, live as a sideshow freak. And that's how he'll die. Maybe. Yeah. Ridiculous, says the beast. Yep, and so they go back to their destroyed helicopter for some reason. And then, oh, they're going to call a cab, but none of them have any money. And it's kind of a little joke at the end where Cyclops says that his group leader doesn't have any money. Dun, dun, dun. Ha, ha. So <laughs> I was going to say, like, as we were going through this, but I had forgotten that I was like, I think this is the I- the only issue in which the X-Men proper have finally won a battle. Yeah, that's true. But then I realized the X-Men didn't win this battle. The Blob did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? So well, the X-Men did very well. <laughs> they held their own, I suppose. You're right. They weren't captured or beaten by a bunch of circus freaks. But ultimately, the Blob was the one that caused Magneto run, to run off. Well, Magneto says in this issue something about uh, the X-Men have defeated me time and time again. So the X-Men are taking the Magneto's taking it as a, as a loss. Mm, I guess you're right. Well, it's got to count for something because they don't got anything else. No, no. <laughs> Uh, so then we move on to the letter section. So the the letter that kind of struck me was the first one uh, <laughs> from a woman who apparently, as you read, first, I don't even know if you know it's it's a woman, but as, as you start reading the letter, it's kind of written from, it seems like a 12-year-old is writing, like a 12-year-old boy, like, oh, this comic book, so great, the Vanisher's awesome, the Blob is awesome, but as it goes on, you find out that he is a she, and then as it continues going on, you find out that she is 33 years old. And I got to wonder, 33-year-old comic book reader in 1965. Apparently very, very rare. Um, you would think that's so. That's the only comic book reader these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. That's very true. And there are a lot of 33-year-old girls, I think, reading comic books these days. But I can't imagine yeah. there was a whole lot of them in 1965. I'm a 33-year-old girl reading. <laughs> com- I mean, well, no, wait. Wait, no. wait. Uh, I am 33. <laughs> are you post-op or pre-op? I am, I am, bop, bop. Okay. Uh, that's the only letter here, here that really struck me. And I thought that was very Yeah, she odd. calls herself a comparatively elderly reader. Mm-hmm. I am 33 years old. And she's never felt apologetic about her interest in comic magazines. You I like that she calls them comic magazines. She does refer um, to them as uh, comic magazines multiple times. Now, if I was the editor or the letter writer or whoever writes these, the little callbacks here, I would have probably making much more of a big deal out of having a 33-year-old, 33-year-old woman reader, but they don't. Well, they don't want to scare her away. I mean, the previous issue um, also had a housewife uh, writing a letter. Really? So I, I'm kind of thinking that, you know, you know the way that comics were originally kind of romance magazines. Sure. So probably there were a lot of female readers and probably a lot of them were housewives. So comic books are uh, like the MacGyver of the 60s. Huh? Following your meaning there. (laughs) (laughs) MacGyver uh, uh, appeals to lots of women uh, because he's action-packed and he's action-packed and he's a good-looking guy and every now and then there's a little bit of romance. Hmm. Okay, maybe not. I don't know. That's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyways, uh, on the whole, uh, it's all right, I guess. I think the beat Nikki thing was a little bit much for me, but... Yeah, not the strongest issue, but, uh, you know, moving moving the story along. Uh, we've got, now we've got the X-Men without the Professor. I think that's the main deal here. I think this is probably the first uh, of many attempts to try to get the Professor out so that they're not constantly relying on the mind wipe. 
Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of nice to call back on, a, on an older character and, and stop dealing with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yeah, and it allows, uh, you know, it allows us to get to know all the X-Men a little bit better. Because I don't know about you, but I'm actually kind of getting sick of Magneto and his little band of evil mutants. Yeah, actually, they reference that in the letters page, and they one of the, one of the uh, things that they mention is, are you guys getting sick of Magneto and the mutants? Let us know. There's a whole paragraph here of like, are you sure? Because we could tone it down. You just let us know. Just write in, and we'll change it if you'd like to. It's kind of like their uh, confidence is shaken. And, and they also ask... Uh, what do you guys think of uh, Scott as the leader? How's that? How's that sound to you? Sound good? So yeah, it actually appears that if more people would have written in and said, "No, no, 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 Iceman should have been the leader," we would have a totally different X Men here in 2011. Yeah, they ruled by majority over there at uh, Marvel Comics. Well, you know, they want to make the uh, the reader feel important. Well, uh, with that, I, I, yeah, I, I don't have any other thing. I don't have any other thoughts. Yeah, give us a uh, give us the give us the right of information. Leave us some leave leave us some comments at iTunes and visit us at www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room and you can s- listen to all of the episodes. You can find a link there to email us or the iTunes link, or you could comment on each and every individual little issue. All right. Until next time, the danger room is closed. Mm-hmm.